Welcome to the QAV podcast. If you're brand new, I just want to introduce the podcast a little bit so you know what you're getting yourself into. If you've listened to the show before, feel free to just fast forward a minute or two. If you're brand new, here's the deal. Uh, my name's Cameron Riley. Tony Kynaston is an old friend of mine. He's a very successful share market investor. I'm talking very, very, very successful. He's been doing it 30 years. He's one of the best in the country in terms of a private investor. Very good uh, track record over 30 years. And what this podcast is about is Tony basically teaches me everything that he knows about investing in the stock market. And you get to listen. But if you're coming into this for the first time, you'll find that this episode, the current episodes, assume a certain level of prior knowledge. We assume that you know what we're talking about, his system, his methodology, which we explain in earlier episodes. So feel free to listen if you want to get the vibe for what's going on, but some of it's not going to make much sense unless you understand what the checklist is, etc. I recommend if you're brand new, you go back and listen to uh, Season 3, Episode 1, Episode 3 and Episode 5, where we go into Tony's background and his system and his methodology in a lot more detail. And then feel free to listen to the contemporary episodes, the current episodes. You'll understand more of the context of what we're talking about. With that, let's get into today's show. Aren't you supposed to go, welcome back <laughs> to QAV? <laughs> welcome back to QAV. This is episode 403. TK, you're on your way back to Sydney, I believe. You're in Wagga Wagga. Wagga Wagga Wagga. Wagga Wagga. Like uh, Fozzie Bear. <laughs> Named after Fozzie Bear's famous catchphrase, Wagga Wagga. I am. I'm in Wagga Wagga. And I have to call it Wagga Wagga. Apparently, you can only call it Wagga if you're a local. Is that right? That's the yeah. uh, that's the rules. That's the etiquette. Yeah. Yeah. Dub dub. Now we call it dub dub. What's dub dub? W W dub dub. Ah, no, no one calls it that. Right. Okay. Just me. <laughs> Australian shares have fallen in afternoon trade. Tony, uh, according to the news, as U.S. markets slipped from their record highs. Get this. I like this. On concerns, it may either be overvalued or in a bubble territory. No. <laughs> no what? Yeah, that's right. You don't say. <laughs> I'm shocked that there's gambling going on in this establishment. Yeah. <laughs> they just worked that out, Tony. It may be uh, in a bubble. Well, that's actually that's actually a good outcome if the market self-corrects before the bubble bursts. That's, I mean, some markets go sideways for a long time, so that's, you know, that's not a bad thing. Uh, I suspect there's going to be a rise, rise in bond yields and a rise in inflation and a rise in interest rates, and any one of those will trigger a bit of a rout. But who knows when, who knows by how much. Civil war. We'll get to that. Um, well, in Australia, it's meant that Fortescue Metals is down 6% today. Oh, really? But, yeah, so it's only up 218% now since we <laughs> bought it. So I'm a little bit worried about Fortescue. Uh, mm. I read a great article about Andrew Forrest this morning in The Fin, something about he's, he's decided he's going to set up the world's largest sustainable energy company. Oh, That's what he, company, I think. I just thought it was... Oh, sorry, um, not I want... Uh, Steelmaker, using hydrogen. Oh, okay. Well, you know more than I do. That's oh, what I he was... I read the same article. <laughs> running around... Well, you paid more attention than I did there. Running around the world when he got COVID. That's what he was setting up or something. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I think there's actually two things there. You're right. He was going around the world looking for alternative energy sources. Uh, but he's also now talking about setting up a, a steel maker, a steel works that um, uses hydrogen rather than uh, whatever power, coal power, I guess, is what's not right. used. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, uh, oh, for people listening, uh, if you're wondering why Tony's voice sounds a little bit sketchy, it's because he's in uh, Waka Waka and he's uh, got, using a dodgy headset microphone, Apple microphone thing, not his good microphone. Yeah, brand new. Too had to go out and buy one today mm. after golf. That's why I didn't know the market was down this afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, it's 27th of January today too while we're recording. It is, 27th of January, 2021. Well, listen, we've got a big show today, lots of questions, lots of stuff. Let's uh, get stuck into it. Howard Marx's memo. Can we start there, Tony? Yeah, sure. I was just going to say Stephen Mab uh, brought this to our attention last week. Howard Marx from Oak Tree for new listeners. Uh, somebody did uh, uh, point out to me, uh, one of our new subscribers sent me an e- uh, email during the week saying, I, I tend to listen when I'm out on, uh, doing a walk and uh, can you explain, I can't Google things, can you explain things and not just assume that we know them all the time? And I think, You're right, we should do that more. I, I apologise if we uh, assume an a priori level of knowledge too often. So for new subscribers, Howard Marks, if you don't know, American billionaire investor, runs a company called Oak Tree. Uh, one of the guys that we talk about from time to time. He puts out a memo on a fairly regular basis about what he thinks is going on. And he put out one recently talking about how uh, he sat down with his son, Andrew, who's also an investor, and he's starting to think about moving away from value investing and looking at investing in growth stocks, Tony. Something of value was the name of his uh, memo, if people want to Google it. Howard Marks, something of value. Yes, and if you uh, if there was ever a they say that you can't you, no one rings a bell when the market tops, but when a value investor like Ray Dalio starts to talk about Howard internet Marks. stocks, Howard Marks, Howard, sorry, starts Howard to talk Marks. about um, hmm. internet stocks, it's it's called capitulation, and it probably <laughs> is getting close to the top of the market when a dyed in the wool value investor is starting to think about buying internet stocks because his son has talked him into it. <laughs> that reminds me of the uh, of the old Buffett quote that Wall Street's the only place that people travel to work in Rolls Royces and take advice from people who ride in the subway. I'm pretty sure Howard Marks's son doesn't ride to work in the subway, though. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and I think according to the article, he's been a successful investor in, in growth stocks and tech stocks in particular. Yes. But I was disappointed by the article because uh, the premise was that, you know, that uh, – that there was a way to invest in that this that Howard's son had taught him the way to invest in these growth stocks. In other words, you know, pick pick this one, not that one, because of these things. But that didn't really come out in the article. It was just basically, you know, buy the one that's going up and then hold it. <laughs> it's uh, it was a very strange article, especially some from someone as uh, experienced as Howard Marks. And in fact, at almost every paragraph in the article started with. I remember back to this crash or that crash, you know, the '87 crash or the 2007 crash or the, the nifty, text, the nifty fifty, the nifty fifty. That's right. How I cut my mm. teeth and these things went wrong. You know, people were buying nifty fifty stocks because they were told to buy them and they were going up, and you there was fear of missing out. And you should buy them, and then they crashed with the oil shock in '72. So, 
<laughs> like he's he's basically you you want to take out all the bits in the article that come from his son and just follow his advice, which is to watch out for bubbles. Like it's a good it's a good article. Like there's a lot of history on Buffett and Munger and all of this kind of stuff in there. Uh, and like you, I mean, this was part of a, an ongoing conversation we've been having with Stephen recently about you know something that we've talked about on the show many times over the last couple of years. You know, we're not, you're not, I shouldn't say we because I don't know shit, but, you know, you're not uh, philosophically adverse to buying quote-unquote growth stocks, tech stocks. You you don't have any sort of religious objection to them. It's not like, uh, you know, you're a Jew and they're not clean, uh, they're pork. Uh, But uh, you just don't know how to place a value on them. You don't have a, you don't, you haven't figured out yet a methodology for working out how to put some science behind investing Correct. in these sorts of stocks. And so we've had a number of guests on over the last couple of years that are investors in these things, and you always ask them the same sort of questions, like how do you – how do you decide? You know how to how do you value these things? What's the methodology you use to figure out what they're worth and when to sell? And so far, nobody has been able to give us not even the beginnings of an answer that I can recall. They're just oh, like, well, been, yeah, there's mm. been some beginnings of the answers. When Yarn Rousseau was on the executive chairman of Damstra, he was saying that the bankers that uh, floated his company. Would look for things like I think from memory, you know, sales growth twenty percent every year for the last three years, whatever the number was. Uh, uh, software as a service type business, so you have recurring revenue. The, the, he had two or three things that they were looking at, so I kind of get that. But but uh, you know, there's no there's no checklist for quality in that kind of thing. If all you're doing is buying a stock because the sales are going up twenty percent year on year, what happens to it when they don't? Um, and and you know where's the measure of quality? What if you have ten stocks that are doing that? Which one do you pick first? Uh, so yes, I I agree with you, Cam. I, I've I've struggled to have a, a checklist for the growth stocks, which is something more than just buy the one that's going up. And and so we've been looking for um, you know uh, some way uh, that where you could apply some sign to this. And Stephen, I was on the ASA Queensland uh, Australian Shareholders Association Queensland conference call last week with Stephen, and uh, he was talking about something that the Motley Fool guys have been talking about recently, which is uh, looking at gross revenue growth per share as one metric to tell which companies in a particular sector are doing better than other companies in the sector. Like we take the maybe the buy now, buy now pay later stocks, looking at those sorts of things. But how would and you know Howard Marks says in his memo that you shouldn't have knee jerk dismissiveness around tech slash growth stocks, and he says the same thing that I know you've said uh, and and I know Buffett and Munger have said many times is that there's no real difference between value investing and growth investing. Mm. It's all all investing is value investing. Value investing. It, yep. It's just how you measure value yeah. or how do you determine value, right? Well, that's the other question is, I mean, like, yeah, that, you're right. Munger's, Munger has said that in the past and Buffett said something similar. And Buffett goes on to say, if I can buy, if I can pay a dollar now for something which will make me $20 over 10 years, I'm going to I'm going to buy it. It's a good deal. Yeah. And, and he's right. But the problem is, 
there are so many so many things that can go wrong with these growth stocks that projecting out even a couple of years is very hard, let alone 10 years or 20 years, mm. and then discounting back. I mean, competitors can come into the market, governments can regulate against them, they can be broken up as they might be ha- might happen in the States with the big tech companies. So there's all sorts. Of, I, I don't know how you could build a discounted cash flow for these kinds of stocks, really. Mm. Even and getting if you back- wanted to. And, and getting back to the very basics, like we talked about in our very first episodes and when we did the reboot for 301, uh, the, the the coffee shop analogy. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're trying to value a coffee shop, you figure out, okay, I, I think a share based on its turnover, its track record, its profitability, all these sorts of things that we look at. Uh, here's what I think a share of it is probably worth. And if I can buy a share in the business for less than that, then I've got a safety buffer, mm. um, a margin of safety in sort of classic value investing terms. But how you how you figure out what a value in the uh, a buy now, pay later coffee shop looks it looks <laughs> like is is the question here. How do we do it? How do we work that out? Anyway, so just enough on the Howard Marks thing. You say well, – uh, Can I just say, it, I just have one more thing. Mm. I, I would think the only legitimate strategy for buying tech stocks or growth stocks is uh, comes from Peter Lynch's one up on Wall Street where he talks mm. about, you know, if you, if you find a new product or service that you or your friends or your family members are using, then that might be a good investment. <clears throat> so if, if you were – someone who's, who's maybe yourself started using Afterpay or your kids did and thought, okay, this is interesting, this is new, this is gaining traction and you bought some shares in it, I, I totally get that and respect that. Um, but that's different to looking at the, you know, the NASDAQ and trying to pick the next Amazon and, and making bets. That's just speculation. Well, so is buying a share just because you're using it and you think it's okay, oh, right? It it's-, it's absolutely speculation. But, but, there is, <laughs> but there is some science behind that. I mean, Peter Lynch did point out that um, it was, a, it was a, uh, a, a, an early indicator of um, <clears throat> successful companies that they can break into your circle of use. And uh, if they're doing that, they're doing something right and therefore they're worth investing. Um, so I, I do have some sympathy with that argument. And if, if you think about it, you know, if I, if I applied that logic to myself, I, I've never used Afterpay. No one I know uses Afterpay, so I can't, <clears throat> I can't apply it to Afterpay. But, you know, when I, when I first bought an Apple iPod, I think their, their shares were 200 bucks or something. So that would have been a good time to buy them, even though, I, you know, I couldn't value them. I had no idea how they were going to grow. Um, when I first used Amazon, um, you know, it would have been a good time to to, to buy their their stock. So, I think there is some there is some methodology in that at least. And if you're disciplined and only do it for those things which are, are new to you, then um, I think that you know follows Peter Lynch's dictum. But you're only talking. I mean, how many times does that happen to you? You're only talking about a handful of stocks probably in your lifetime. But that when did you, to you when did you buy a, an Apple iPod? Like last year. No, I bought an Apple iPod back in well, fifteen years ago, probably. The share price was two hundred bucks. I think so. Yeah. What's it now? Share pr- one hundred and forty-three. Oh, it must have split. It was two hundred bucks back then. It went up to I think twelve hundred dollars or something. What? Yeah. Must have gone through some splits. According to the share chart I'm looking at, back in like two thousand and one, the share price was thirty-five cents. Yeah, has Apple ever been $0.35? I think it's been for a few splits, Ken. (laughs) Probably, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah. Well, explain capitulation to for new listeners. Sure. What is what what is the concept of capitulation? Yeah. So as we know, the stock market is is a is a bazaar, but a trading bazaar that that you know involves haggling and people trying to sell you things and you trying to find the best bargain. So it's 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 a it's a a petri dish or um, you know a laboratory of uh, human psychology, and one of the things that is often a harbinger of a change in sentiment is when somebody who has been on their soapbox banging on about one type of uh, investment or one type of investing style or one or about the stock market in general suddenly changes tune. So obviously Howard Marks being a value investor for the last 50 years probably is now starting to open up to growth investing. And so he's capitulated. He's changed his style of, of thought. Um, he's basically saying, okay, I've held my value investing theory as being sacred for the last 50 years, but I'm now starting to question that, um, which is probably the worst time to question it. And it often, it often indicates uh, there's a change in the market coming because you know, as as more and more people change their mind and pile into growth stocks, they get into a bigger and bigger bubble, and of course, one day it crashes. Anyway, moving on. Uh, speaking of other value investors putting out memos uh, or tweets, in this case, Ray Dalio uh, did a, a tweet, uh, six tweets actually, the other day. Uh, Ray Dalio, another American billionaire value investor, runs an organization, an investment company called Bridgewater Associates. Been around for ever and a day. Very, very successful. Uh, founded the firm in 1975. Uh, currently got 138 billion US under management. He uh, did a series of tweets saying he thinks uh, the US is heading for a civil war unless it can solve its political, economic, and social social divisions uh, pretty quickly. Well, that do the market, Tony. Which it can't. <laughs> no, 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 no chance so in hell. Hopefully he's wrong, but yeah. What will it do to the market? The tweets, well, bugger all, I think. I think there's been enough commentary in the US. No, not the, the tweets, election. the civil war. What would a civil war do to the markets? Oh, it depends. I mean, uh, whew, good question. I have to go back and have a look at the Civil War in America and if there was a stock market back then. But oftentimes in wartime, uh, the share market can go up uh, because uh, the, the government's pumping heaps of money into, um, into the uh, economy, particularly to manufacture things, whether it's um, armaments or whether it's uh, – manufacturing things to feed people at home when, when there's disruption in the economy. It's a bit like the COVID cough. Um, but, uh, you know, there's obviously fear out there as well. So I'd have to go back and have a look at what, what uh, the wartime market looks like. I, I suspect it's probably up sometimes and down others, but I'd have to go and have a look. He says, I believe we are on the brink of a terrible civil war where we are at an inflection point between entering a type of hell of fighting or pulling back to work together for peace and prosperity that addresses the big wealth, values, and opportunity gaps we're now seeing. Uh, yeah, I. Um, it's been interesting recently. You know, I've, I've been talking about a coming U.S. civil war on some of my political shows for years, and I, it just seemed like it was just me and... I don't know, the extreme right like Breitbart <laughs> for all these years. 
And now to see guys, billionaire investors like Ray Dalio talking about it is kind of uh, a little bit freaky. Do you really think there'll be a civil war in the States? Yeah, I don't see any way out of it. I don't know how bad it will be and I don't know when it will happen, but the tensions are so high that something needs to give and I just don't know. I just can't see any way out of it. And, you know, I just, yeah. Unless some uh, political leader comes along that can unite the country again and address the divisions and all of the problems that they've got, and I don't think Biden's that person. I don't know who that person is. Um, yeah, I, I just see they're, they're tearing themselves apart over there. The hatred between the left and the right is so deep and endemic. I just, uh, as an historian, amateur historian, but, you know, somebody who makes his living out of talking about history and doing deep dives on, you know, uh, what's happened in, in history and from 2,000 years ago through to the Cold World and the Renaissance and all that kind of stuff, looking at how how societies build themselves up and how they tear themselves apart. I just see it all playing out in the US again. I've seen this. Yeah, I keep saying this to Ray on my history shows and Chrissy. I've I've, I've read this book before <laughs> many, many times, right? These things never end well. Um, it's either when countries get like this, they need either a, a global war like Germany did in the 30s to 30s and 40s to uh, – you know, tear them apart so they could be rebuilt, or it's a civil war that tears them apart and rebuilds them. I can't think of many or any examples in history where a country has been at this level of divisiveness, divisiveness, and has figured out how to put itself back together again. So I hope it doesn't yeah, happen. I have, a, I have a slightly different view. I, I, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm worried. I think the, there's a higher chance that there'll be some kind of conflict with China whether it's, um, you know, a Cold War-type conflict or an economic-type war that Trump tried to start, uh, or whether it's a full-out, um, you know, old-style-type war. Uh, and the, you know, I think that's more likely than a civil war in the US. The, the, the US at the moment reminds me of the US when I was growing up as a kid, when there was, you know, there's Black Lives Matter protests now. There were lots of civil rights protests back then. The, there was lots of people, you know, driving around in cars with Confederate flags waving from them. Um, the South would rise again was a, you know, a, a chant and the Ku Klux Klan was recruiting and all that kind of stuff again. But it all came to nothing. Um, and I suspect it probably will this time too because I don't think that that Trump base can ever militarily um, get enough support uh, to, to launch any sort of effective um clash or assault or takeover. I mean, the, the Capitol Hill assault was uh, you know, a rabble, basically. It was never going to actually overthrow any sort of government. Um, I don't know what the generals are like in the Pentagon, but I'd suspect that uh, you know, you'd have to win over a lot of those before you could launch any sort of um, worthwhile assault uh, on, on the government in America, and I, I don't see that happening. I, I see it more likely to be your other hypothesis, which is an external, um, some kind of skirmish with China. Mm. Well, we'll see. Anyway, that's Ray Dalio. Uh, that's gross revenue growth per share. Let's uh, move on to- oh, Sorry, just, just I should answer some more about gross revenue growth per share. That was mm. to, to give people some more background on that. So Steve Mab had sent that through because he had, I think, read about it in Motley Fool and how they were using that as a key metric to- 
um, base their uh, investment decisions on. And, and I haven't investigated it in any sort of detail, and I suspect that it probably is is a good metric to base the investment decision on because if a company's gross profit is rising year on year, then it's doing something right. You know, either the market's favouring it, or the market it operates in is favouring it economically, or it's you know cutting costs, or it's it's growing um, in size either by sales or by expanding overseas or whatever. So I, I don't um, dismiss that as a good uh, a good metric. It's not readily available in Stock Doctor or any other place I've seen, so it'll be hard to use that as a, as a checklist item because um, even if you entered it manually, you'd still have to calculate it You're probably manually as well year on year. So um, if anyone knows of a source of that, we could have a look at it. Um, I'm not averse to putting it into the checklist, but I'd need to do a whole heap of testing or, or Steve or someone like that can do some testing for us to see if it's worthwhile. You know, but that's exactly how the checklist was formed. Is, is someone had, you know, I read something somewhere that they had a good idea using one metric and I investigated it and uh, it seemed worthwhile, so it gets added. Right, so I'm, but not, I dis- I'm not dismissing mm-hmm. gross revenue growth per share out of hand. I'm just saying it's, it's difficult to... Um, for me to get my to do the analysis to, to work out which stock is growing their gross profit year on year, and then mm. we've got to then try and do some kind of testing on it. Mm. But my guess is it would take uh, a lot to shift you f- from what you've been doing successfully for twenty five years into investing in these companies to, to move much of your portfolio into uh, these sorts of companies. Well, from what I saw, from what Steve shared with us, there were some, I'll, I'll call them QAV stocks, on the, the list of companies with that metric growing, gross revenue growth per share growing. Um, the one that comes to mind is Vocus Communications, which I think, uh, well, certainly was on the buy list last year or the year before. Uh, and I think you, we may have had it in the dummy portfolio for a while. So um, my point being is that I'm not going to make a one-dimensional checklist just using that metric. And so if we add it to our current checklist, um, we're probably not going to pick up the growth end of that of, of that universe. We're probably going to pick up the value end, like shares like Vocus. Right. Yeah. Okay. Moving that's another, right. That's another important point. The checklist is a blend. It's um, you, you can certainly have challenger portfolios where you just use one metric to see if, if that's outstanding. But I, I think that in the end, the the better thing is to add that metric to the checklist um, and give it give it a weighting if you need to, um, but you don't want to you don't want to dismiss all of the other good things in our in our universe and, and focus on one thing. You want to blend it in the, the new thing into the checklist. Moving on, uh, John Machen sent us an article the other day from the Financial Review. Uh, miners sell elsewhere as China shuts door on Aussie copper. Mm. That's uh, no good, particularly <laughs> since we've got at least one copper uh, stock in our portfolio, C6C. Well, that's actually it's Australian listed, but it's actually a Canadian copper miner, so it won't be affected by Chinese bans on Australian imports. Woohoo! Yeah, in fact, it might even benefit. <laughs> <laughs> It's down. Uh, it's down today with the uh, market, but anyway, it was it was doing well before that. Yeah, I, I, I recall reading the article and not being too concerned. But you know, most of the the copper exporters were saying, "Look, we're busy finding other markets besides China, and we think we'll be okay." Right, um, and and yeah, you, know, you wonder whether China's sort of picking and choosing who it picks on, um, whether it really wants to damage Australia, or whether it's just firing a shot across the bow to um, to make political points. Yes. Yeah. 
I would ex- I would suspect the latter. Mm. Just trying to turn up the heat in Scomo's feet. Exactly. Yeah. Particularly now I that mean, Trump's it, out of office, but I, I don't I, I don't see any signs that uh, Joe Biden's going to particularly change the anti-China rhetoric that was coming out of the Trump administration, at least so far. Yeah, I don't I don't I agree with you. I wonder whether it'll become much more a behind the scenes thing. though. like it'll be uh, a lot more diplomatic discussions rather than open tariff war. Rather than Twitter. Yeah, rather than Twitter, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes. Mm. Business as usual. Business as usual, exactly. Mm. What's that old saying? America means business and business is America. <laughs> okay. Something like that. <laughs> right. Yeah. So you're not worried about the uh, that for now, for our portfolio anyway? No. I mean, if, if, if China wanted to damage us, they'd stop taking iron ore, but that's not in China's best interest. So hmm. I really think it's it's um, picking and choosing ones that um, they can probably source, like, like commodities they can source from other places, at least in hmm. the short term until they've made their point. Hmm. Um, and I think uh, certainly in that article, most of the copper exporters are saying well, we, we can get by without China. It might might be a slight disadvantage to us, but we'll get by. And anyway, we don't really care because, you know, we just buy and sell based on what's happening. <laughs> yes, we don't have exactly. to worry about. <laughs> we don't try and predict. Anything else you want to cover before we get into the Q&A? Uh, no, I can do a stock of the week if you want. Oh, um, let's do that. Do a, a group. Uh, yeah. So, so last, I haven't done a download since about last Wednesday, I think, or even earlier maybe, but um, I was reading another article uh, on, lo- on Eureka Report from a uh, a guy, Alan Treadgold. Let's check that name. Uh, Tim Treadgold, sorry. Um, funny name for a, uh, an analyst in the mining sector, but he's very good. And he went through talking about the fact that he thought coal was um, in an upturn. So I went on to Index Mundi and had a look, and yes, it looks like coal's just starting its three-point upturn. Uh, so I decided to go back into the QAV master spreadsheet and have a look at all of the companies in the classifications for energy and materials, which is uh, one of the early columns in the QA, column C in the, in the um, QAV master spreadsheet. And, and if people aren't aware of what, the, what that means is uh, the ASX has uh, grouped companies into industry classifications to, to allow people to analyze a particular industry quickly, whether it's financial, retail, uh materials which often means things like coal um, or uh, energy and and so uh, because I haven't I, I, and I don't go back every download and check every three-point sentiment on the watch list because there are you know a couple of hundred shares on the watch list whatever the number is it's a lot I tend to look for catalysts or sentiment changes or interesting articles that make me go and have a look so in this case I went and had a look at those companies on the watch list that were in the material sector, which would cover coal, and uh, the energy sector, because uh, he also spoke about um, some uh, changes to oil as well, I think, in the article. But anyway, I came up with a whole host of companies that had gone through three-point trend changes since I last looked at them. Um, I put it out as a stock journal. But I'll just go through some of those now. NGE Capital with a QAV score of 0.31. So NGE 
is uh, a listed investment company which invests in resource companies. Well, that's the end of the free episode for this week. For the brand new folks, I want you to know that each week we have a free episode and a premium episode. Free episode runs about half an hour. Premium episode usually runs for an extra half hour to an hour, depending on how many questions we have from our audience that week because we spend a lot of that time answering questions. Uh, If you want to check out the premium episodes, you can go up to our website, qavpodcast.com.au and sign up for the two-week free trial. You get to have a look at the uh, premium episodes. You get to have a look at the checklist, the getting started guide, all of the video content that we have. Uh, You get invited to our VIP dinners and our VIP Zoom calls for club members. You get to ask Tony questions that we can answer. You get to get invited to our uh, Facebook group, our private Facebook group, etc., etc. So, And also we get a, a private uh, club member newsletter each week we send out as well with some stuff in it. So check that out, qavpodcast.com.au. But as I said, if you're brand new and you want to, you're trying to figure out what's going on, go back and listen to Season 3, Episodes 1, 3, and 5, 301, 303, and 305. And then you might also want to go back and listen to Season 1, as well, all of the free episodes in season one, where we go into a lot of detail about Tony's system and methodology and figure out if this is right for you, if it's something that you want to go further with, if you want to learn how to invest like Tony does, then you can check out the uh, QAV Club. Uh, the other thing I always have to say is we're not financial advisors, so don't take anything you hear on this as financial advice. This is just here to teach how one guy invests and thinks about investing. If you need financial advice or tax advice, please go see a financial advisor or tax advisor. Uh, With that, stay safe. Good luck with your investing. And we'll be back next week.